When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's Coaching Coordinator podcast is with Brian Kite, who is now running his own company and his popular website, dailydiscipline.com, something you definitely want to check out and sign up for his daily emails. In this episode, we talk about changing culture, and Brian really gets into some details here, brings up some great points about why you change culture, as well as how you change culture. This was a great series. I really enjoyed doing these podcasts with Brian. We did three seasons worth of these during the season. I think we have about 45 episodes. I will link to those playlists in the show notes. You can find the show notes in your podcast app, or you can go to coachandcoordinator.com, our new home for the podcast. You're also going to want to check out Coach and Coordinator Monthly, a free digital magazine to accompany the podcast. It's a place where we capture some of those things that uh, just don't work as well on an audio format, as well as highlight some of the coaches and their ideas. There'll be an update there soon with a tab where you can sign up for Coaching Coordinator Monthly. Enjoy this episode. We'll have more information at the end. And today we're going to focus a little bit on changing the culture and joining me to talk about this topic is Brian Kite. Brian, always great to talk with you. Good afternoon for you, Keith. Good morning for me. I'm in Los Angeles in an Uber driving south on the 405 and uh, ready to talk some ball and culture. Well, Brian, I, I thought a little bit about this topic last night. I was watching Hard Knocks with the Cleveland Browns. Careful how you badmouth those. I'll, I'll talk to Seth about that. He's got an elf on his arm. I don't think you mess with people yep. who have an elf on their arm. No, but, not when it's Brown. He's led to that team. <laughs> exactly. So in the episode, Alonzo Highsmith goes into John Dorsey's office, the general manager, and, and says, you know what, John, this reminds me a lot of the Dallas Cowboys when I was there and when Jimmy Johnson came in and won in 15 when he came in and we turned it around and we won a Super Bowl. And I thought, wow, that's that's great that he could see this. Now, certainly as a Browns fan, I think that's exciting. As a Browns fan, what I've been able to see is that there's there's a couple things in place for an 0-16 team. They have shown patience for the process and getting the right people in place, getting everybody aligned and getting the discipline that they need, they're working to change a culture. They're working to get to that point where 
they can win. And as I think about how that applies, like right now in the course of the season, for many teams going into week two of their season, week one was something that maybe either validated where you guys were or showed you that you needed some patience and more work and discipline in the in the process. So uh, I think it's a relevant topic to this time of the season. And certainly when we talk about leadership, we talk about changing a culture. That's something that has to happen all the time. We always have to be doing the work. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen, uh, I've actually not watched any episodes of Hard Knocks uh, this season, and I I can't obviously speak to what the Browns are doing, uh, or I should say how effectively they're doing it, although it does look from the outside like they are working hard to adjust the culture, to change the culture. And, you know, one of the things I have been really pressing on in my keynotes recently as I've been getting in front of uh, both teams and businesses um, because it's the same for both is I've been pressing on this. I I think maybe before we start about talk, before we get into changing the culture, um, I I think this needs to be talked about more and people might be surprised to hear this from me. I have no deep love or culture itself. Particularly in, in football. I mean, I, I don't wake up in the morning and dream of doing culture. Uh, I didn't when I played. Uh, I don't even know. The reason I focus on culture, and I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not even speaking for you know my dad, Tim Tite, or anybody else in our company. Just speaking for me. The reason I pay attention to culture is because of how much it matters to winning and the quality of the experience on a team. So when we talk about culture and we're talking about changing the culture, I think that needs to be said because the interpretation some people have of culture, some people present it this way, uh, other people uh, in the professional ranks and, and in the coaching ranks hear it this way, is that culture is the objective. It's about the culture that you have, and that matters more than anything else. It doesn't. And it just doesn't. Culture for the Browns is relevant to the extent that it does one of three things. Drives winning for the football team, profitability for the business, or the experience of being on that team and in that organization is great for everybody, regardless of whether you're winning or losing. That's the relevance of culture. If it's not producing those things, wins, revenue, and a great experience, why are we doing it? Like it, it has to have a, has to have a function. It has to have a relevance. And when it, so anybody who's thinking about any of you who are, are saying to yourself, we need to change our culture. Make sure that you understand that it's a function, just like the weight room. You know, the reason you would need to change the way you work and operate in the weight room is so you can get stronger. And the reason you would need to get stronger or faster uh, is so that you can go out and perform better and be healthier. It's to win and avoid risk of getting injured or, or things like that. But the weight room itself isn't, you know, how much you bench press and how much you clean. We've all met a person like that. And like, they throw out a number like, oh, I bench this much. Nobody cares. <laughs> Who cares how much you bench or how much you squat? You know, it's about what does that do for you? And I think culture is the same way. At least that's my view on culture. And I don't know if that's right per se, 
but it's at least my function of view on culture. So if you're, if you need to change the culture, this is where it gets functional. What are you changing the culture for? Cause that gives you a clear line of sight and it keeps you very grounded in the reality of what your job is as a coach, win games, create a great experience for your athletes. And in my opinion, for at the high school level, which is where a lot of people are, same thing at the college though, is contribute something to the environment that you're in, whether that's contributing to the communities, the families, uh, the school, the larger institution that you belong to. Uh, you know, increasingly you see a lot of, a lot of college programs uh, sending their staff and their athletes out to hospitals, uh, you know, children's hospitals and a bunch of other places because so many people are watching them that you're, you're taking not just your own experience, but you're, you're using who you are and the platform you are to go out and contribute great things to other people. So anyway, I, I just wanted to put that out here because I'm talking about that a lot more from the platform uh, when I'm, you know, on stage at a keynote or something like that, or with a business uh, don't get confused. I, I have no particularly deep love for culture itself. Uh, I'm a producer and I'm a competitor. Like we talked about last week, I want to, I only want to talk about culture if it's actually producing things that we value. If it's not, let's move on. Well, ultimately your, your culture does have to intersect with some strategy and we obviously get into a ton of strategy as, as football coaches. But going back to that original idea with this and kind of the two things that I saw and takeaways from me, and, and again, I mean, I'm watching a, a highly produced television show, so you certainly have the ability to create a narrative. Um, but at least in what I'm easy seeing... To get easy to get pulled by those. <laughs> yeah, what I'm seeing, though, in, you know, in a, I mean, I, I'm a Browns fan, so I follow it in the news, on, on the internet, and all those kinds of things, that there is the, you know, those two components that I mentioned here, uh, patience and discipline. And I've, I've heard you, you know, speak about both of those things. Um, when we're talking about that process of changing a culture, um, how important are those two aspects in... And, and, you know, more than that, how do you define and get those two things within what you're doing? Let me separate discipline from that and inject a chance, and then let's put discipline over the top of it. I would rather you compare, or I would say I would rather you combine urgency plus patience and do both of those things at the same time with discipline. And that sounds unique. Uh, if you read my daily discipline emails, you've heard me or read me write about this. This is what it takes. It takes urgency in 24 hours and patience over 24 months. And there's no, there's no magic. There's no magic to those numbers. They just 24 hours is a nice clean block of time. And 24 months is a good block of time when it comes to culture, because that's a good window to look at two years. Most people, most people tend to be too patient in a particular day, and then they try to be too urgent over the course of a 24-month period, making it happen faster than it needs to be. What I mean by that is this. Most people in the culture effort, they aren't urgent enough and pressure people now. Culture is about what you do right now, not about what you say. Culture is, is execution, not explanation. So... You need to have urgency in that. Everything matters right now. 
the way you speak matters right now. Your attitude matters right now. Your action matters right now. No, you can't try to get better at that later. You have to do it now. No, I'm not changing the standard for you so that you have a longer window. This is the standard now. And it's, it's urgently pressing that in everything happening in your program now. It is, it is urgency and intensity right now, every single day. But it's combined with, we're going to do that for 24 months. And we're not going to rush when we see the payoff. See, discipline is not the outcome. Discipline is the action. Production, that's a result. Action, execution, that's discipline. So what we want in culture is we want 24 hours of disciplined, urgent execution. When you wake up, it is go time. Then we want to combine that with 24 months of patient, watching, observing, and letting outcomes be earned when your discipline and your urgency is good enough to earn them. And it's hard because, you know, in one, do you see how those two things fit together, but why they're so hard to fit together for so many people? Definitely. And it doesn't just, it doesn't just uh, work in culture. I mean, this is the fundamental error that everybody who has ever struggled with, uh, you know, staying in the shape that they want to stay in, uh, which ultimately comes down to your eating decisions, your consumption decisions, eating, sleeping, and uh, how you move, uh, you know, some form of working. And anybody who's ever struggled with it or yo-yoed or, you know, not been where they've wanted to been is because they aren't urgent enough in a day and they're not patient enough over two years. In their day, they're not urgent in that, oh, I'll do it later. Oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do that. And they don't just get up and do something. They don't just make a decision to eat. They don't just make a decision to put something down and go to sleep and get seven or eight hours of sleep if they need it. And instead, they take that urgency and they try to do in eight weeks what's going to take 12 months to do. And they flip it. So they're super patient in their days and they're too urgent over the course of, you know, weeks or a year. When the reality is, if you're urgent in your day, get up and do something, right? Or put your phone down or put whatever down, say no to some things and be super urgent about prioritizing, you know, an eating decision or moving or sleeping. And then be very patient with doing that every day, stretching out over a 12 to 24 month period of time, you're almost guaranteed to get a result. So the, the magic isn't really magic here. It's just mechanics. You have to be urgent in every 24 hour window and you got to be patient over every 24 month period. Brian, you've had the opportunity to work with a number of football programs, um, high level football programs and see what this looks like. So let's, let's focus on that urgency part. And I'm sure you've seen this done very well. And I'm sure you've seen it done where you've need to help adjust it from that standpoint. What does urgency done correctly over the course of a day look like? And I don't care if we've focused on a particular side of the ball, a particular position, but you know, one of those as an example of what does that look like? How do you do it the right way? Um, it's a great question. Um, and this is where 
this is where most people either don't have the stomach or don't have the heart to build the culture that they can see in their head. And it's because it takes three things at least to start. I mean, this is separate from, we've talked about culture playbooks and, and all of that stuff. I'm, I'm not talking, uh, you know, the mechanics of building a culture playbook and all the stuff that goes into it. I'm talking the leadership portion of this. Um, and it's a, it's a very real part of the how to, it takes a maniacal commitment to it. Like you have to be a maniac about it more than ever now, because there are more things fighting against the culture you're trying to build. And there's more mediocrity and averageness being promoted and pushed. And there's more things competing for attention. So if you are not a maniac about the culture that you want, you're going to lose. Or, you, or you'll have an average culture, which in my mind is just losing because you're not having the culture you want. Number two is you have to be intolerant of anything besides the culture standard that you have set. The reason most people don't get the culture that they want is because one, they're not intense enough in building it. They don't, they're, not, they're not enough of a maniac about it. Number two is they're too tolerant of people doing something other than the culture that they want. They allow friendship or they allow compassion or they allow empathy or they allow old habits or they allow loyalty to, to tolerate or their, or their, their loyalty or compassion or empathy or whatever it is tolerates people who just don't want to do the standards that you're setting. And then the third thing in combination with that is you have to do it with a ton of love. You have to do it with a ton of I want to do this together. I want to do this with you. I want you to be part of us. I want you to be yourself. I appreciate you. I respect you. I value who you are. And I love you. I genuinely love you. You have to meet the standard, though. And you put all three of those things together when you're maniacal about whatever your culture is. Um, and, and I want to open this up to everybody. I want you to be maniacal and intolerant, even if and loving, even if the culture that you're setting is not the one that I would want to set or frankly, even be part of, because there's nothing that says I deserve to be part of your culture or I have to be part of your culture. I mean, I, I bet there's a bunch of people listening who, you know, might not want to align with the culture that I build or the standards that I'm setting or hearing this, they might not want to even do it that way. And I want those people to have the freedom to go out and build this their way. It's not about doing it one way. There is no one way. There's a thousand ways, 10,000 ways, a hundred thousand ways to build a football team. Be maniacal and intolerant and loving about the way you're doing it. Because if you're not going to do that, you're going to end up with a team that is disjointed and disconnected and, you know, misaligned all over the place. So blend all of those things together. And what you're going to get is a really unique combination but I'll just, I mean, let me ask you, Keith, like hearing that, if you take a hundred percent of football coaches, what percentage would you describe do it with their culture? They're maniacal about it, intolerant of anything else, and unbelievably loving in the process. How, what percentage of football coaches at any level do it that way? Um, that, that's a tough question for me. Uh, I would probably... Put that number, you know, just going through people I've worked with, the different organizations I've been with, I'd put that number maybe yeah. at 50%. Uh, 
because uh, I think of those, I mean, of those three, thing, is, three is com- big number. No, I, 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 it's somewhere in the middle. I, I think, I think, I think that some people um, don't meet all three of those requirements, and probably the the biggest one in in trying to be urgent is they miss out on what you've emphasized here that love part doing doing it with love. Uh, that that's a tough yeah. one because you know as we talked about last week we in in football I think you think back to the days of really when football started to take root as a big game in this country it was around the time of the world wars and I mean there was definitely a military aspect to our society because of what the country was going through and a lot of guys who had been in the military went on to be football coaches and so command and control kind of became part of the tradition the culture what we were brought up on and right it 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 misses out on a lot of that love so um i i think in my opinion at least is that's where we miss in this part of it that we can go out there we're maniacal we're intolerant do we always give the love portion of that equation and and that's the that's the point of those three is is and you hit it right away and that's why i ask it what percentage of coaches do all three of them? Because you can't do some of it, but not all. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're maniacal and intolerant, but you don't do it with love, I mean, you're a dictator and worse, you're probably abusive. And that's how a lot of people have done it in the past, not just in football, but in all kinds of things in, in corporate America, in, in uh, construction and safety and in all kinds of places in teaching and education, all kinds of places. People were, were intolerant and they were maniacal, uh, you know, leading countries, but they had no love and that's unacceptable. But also the other side, right? Like right. if you're all love, what happens is you start tolerating very average, mediocre behavior from people who take advantage of it. Yes. And I've, I've seen that as well. Right? We're all yeah. love, we're all care, we're all concern and people are taking advantage of it. And it doesn't work. You can't be all love and then tolerate. I mean, this is the thing. This is the thing. Here's what will kill you. Like, this, this is fatal from a coaching perspective. To be loyal to somebody who doesn't uphold your standards and tolerate their misbehavior because you're loyal to them out of a sense of love. That will destroy you. I can think back to one of my high school coaches, Joe Gressock, who I later actually got my first high school coaching job on his coaching staff. And I'll tell you what, he checked all three of those boxes. Um, I mean, he was maniacal and intolerant to the point where uh, you kind of feared <laughs> doing wrong. But I, I can tell you this, I never felt uh, uh, abused in that situation. I always felt like I knew, nope. I knew at the end it, it, he would come back. And if I didn't understand, he was going to explain why and what he expected. And ultimately, that he know he knew I had it within uh, my ability to do better. And ultimately, that made me a, a better player. So I, I guess you know a lot of it eventually with that approach. You know, early on, probably when we first met him, we were probably just fearful. But then you know we did get to know him and, and knew that there was, I guess, a method to his madness. And that in the very end. Uh, we were going to become better because of what he was emphasizing. But man, he he was maniacal, and he definitely didn't tolerate uh, what was less than the standard. 
Yeah, and and let me be really, really clear because this is a topic that even the words and I and I use those words because they're emotionally evocative and they get your attention. Maniacal, intolerant, love. Those are big words that yeah. have a lot of meaning and in, in, in depth to them um, for purpose and emphasis. Let me be exceptionally clear with this. Being maniacal and intolerant is never an excuse to mistreat people. No. There are coaches revered in the past who, are, who would be described as maniacal and intolerant that abused people and mistreated them and then claimed it was all for the good of love. I don't believe in that. I'm not gonna, right. you, know, you can take whoever, whatever coach from the past who's revered. I just don't believe in that. I think, that's a, I think that's a load of BS. What I think those people were is I think those people were authoritative dictators who got away with being in a position, telling people what to do, and just being rude and mean. They just mm-hmm. happen to be good at their sport and then say, I love you at the end. That's my, that's my observation. Yeah. And the people who say, oh, well, they really did love me. They really did do this. They don't have any choice but to say that. Because they're, they're grown now and it's later and they learn the lesson. But in the moment, it was, it was, it was, there was nothing about it that was love. Nothing. It wasn't felt. It wasn't seen. It wasn't heard. So when I say maniacal, when I say intolerant, I mean it this way. Right? You have kids. I have a kid. I mean it this way. Are there things from your kid, standards that you have as a dad, that you're just, you will be intolerant if your kid does certain things? Absolutely. Of course. Are you going to abuse that? Are you going to abuse your kid no. or be mean and rude to your kid? And do, or, No, but there's things that you're going to be maniacal about. There's things that you're not going to tolerate from your kids, but it's never going to come at the expense of you communicating that you love them. Are you going to communicate with intensity? Sure. Depending on the situation. Are you going to be patient with your kids to grow? Of course. But are you, are you going to slack and not be urgent in trying to instill the lessons into your own kids? you know, uh, uh, because you're so patient with them. No, you're going to be very urgent in communicating things when they show up with your kids and pressing on them to get better. But, you know, obviously if you're doing, you know, things well and, and right for yourself as a parent, you also have patience that your, your kids are 14 or your kids are 22 or your kids are whatever age they are or two years old, like mine, Let's let them grow. And so that maniacal, that intolerant and that love is very much like a, a parental relationship, but I'll flip it on its head. And I've been saying this more. My dad's obviously not on this. And a lot of you know my dad, but I'll tell you, I have the same perspective to my dad and I, I bet he would have the same perspective towards me. If I did certain behaviors in our business or I did certain behaviors towards my wife or I did certain behaviors towards my client, my dad would not allow his relationship with me to tolerate certain behaviors with me. And if I went far enough, my dad would cut me out and I would do the same to him. If he engaged in certain behaviors that did not align with the culture of our company and I saw and witnessed those and he continued to do them and I talked with him about those and I said, you can't do that. And he just kept doing it. I would cut him out. I would not tolerate it, not for my own father, because I know he wouldn't tolerate it for me as his son. So that doesn't mean we don't love each other. I would still love my dad. I would just say, you can't do that. I love you, but you can't work here anymore if you do that. I can't work with you if you do that. And he would do the same to me, despite the fact we love each other. And so on our teams, I, I, I think we would serve, if we're trying to change culture, that urgency 
don't let your care and concern and loyalty and empathy for where somebody is to stop you from being maniacal and intolerant and urgent in your 24 hours. Push them. Push them hard. Okay? Show them the gap between where they are and where they need to be. Be self-aware and directly honest with people and communicate how much you love them. We could use a lot more of that in our world right now, especially in the public education, um, frankly, even the private education, but the athletic world right now, uh, because we need more of that in our society, at least here in America. Brian, I couldn't agree with you more uh, about that, and I really appreciate the explanation. And it is a delicate balance. I agree with you that I have seen those situations more than once, probably too often, where a coach is maniacal and intolerant. And then on the back end says, oh, but I love you guys. Uh, it's, it's not an excuse. It all has to work together. And, you know, in this process, we're talking about changing culture. The other aspect of it, uh, I mean, if you're going to be urgent – and you're going to do that day in and day out, and you're going to be patient. Um, all of this, both from the coach and the player, requires some discipline. And I heard you talking on your Focus 3 podcast to uh, a college football team, and you gave them the definition of discipline. And I think uh, you know, the point you made, and I think it's worth repeating here, is that um, we've become a little bit misguided in what discipline is also. And I think it, it it comes to a little bit of maybe going into you know that that coach who is uh, both maniacal and intolerant, maybe mistaking what discipline is as well. Yeah, so a discipline comes from the root word disciple. A disciple was a student, and discipline is training. So the word discipline means to train yourself in a standard or a skill. Functionally, for us, what what discipline means for us today. And I'll talk about what discipline means and is for us today, uh, you know, based on where the word comes from and its intent and what it's not. What it's intent for us today is discipline is to train yourself in a standard or skill to be able to execute it to produce the result you want. That, that's all discipline is. Can you train yourself in a standard or skill so that you can do it and produce the result you want? If you have the ability to do that, you've got some discipline in your particular field, your space, or that context. If you don't, you lack discipline. It's real simple. And in that way, uh, I was with a basketball team yesterday, and I said, you know, there's a difference between touching the line for three reasons. And when you're running a conditioning drill, in football, it applies the same way. There's a difference between touching the line. You can touch the line out of compliance. That's because the rule said so. You can touch the line out of obedience, and that's because your coach said so, or the authority said so, or you can touch the line out of discipline, and that's because you choose to, because it's a skill you're training into yourself. And that's the, that's the core difference between those three. Compliance is when the rule says so. Obedience is when an authority says so. Discipline is when you choose it, because you're training a skill into yourself, or you're doing it with skill. And that's the difference between uh, uh, a player when they're, and we talk about this a bunch, when a player is doing something out of compliance, it's only the rules keeping them in the line. When a player is doing something out of obedience, it's only authority that keeps them in line. When a player is doing something from discipline, they keep themselves in line. They choose it. It's self-control. 
its purpose, its intentionality. Um, and you think about it. What, what's, the, what's the weakness of compliance? And that is, if there's no real rules and the rules aren't exceptionally clear, what, what do people do? Whatever they want. Or if somebody's not watching as to whether they're compliant, what do people do? Yeah, they step outside the rules. What's the limitation of obedience? And you, you know this as a father. The limitation of obedience is twofold. One, you're not there all the time. Two, there is a time where you're, there's, a, there's a spot in your kid's life where their obedience to you comes to an end. Mm-hmm. And, and from that point forward, they live their own life, making their own choices, not out of obedience to you, but out of decisions that they're going to make for who they are. When that moment arrives, we want our kids to have discipline. When the moment arrives for all of you and your athletes going to the field, you don't want them to be obedient. You want them to be disciplined. You want them to make their own choices out of the field as human beings with some creativity, but also what? They want to choose obedience, but also choose, we talked about it last week. What about when you, when you make a call and a player gets out there and sees that that call is not going to line up and work? Can they, make an, can they be a player and a teammate and an athlete and make a play. Well, that takes a lot of discipline to know the difference between when I need to follow exactly what coach says and when I need to tweak it on the field because I see something the coach didn't see. That just requires an incredibly disciplined athlete. The less discipline an athlete has, they're going to do one of two things. Blindly follow everything you say without observing their context, or they're going to ignore what you say and do what they want all the time. And we don't want either one of those athletes. So discipline is not obedience. It's not compliance. It is training yourself to execute a skill or standard to produce the results that you need to produce. Brian, we're into week two of the season, and we have feedback in the form of something in the W or something in the L column uh, that isn't necessarily the complete indicator of where we're at because both of those uh, both of those columns can kind of lie to you. So in terms of looking at that process, looking at you know the systems we've put in place and how well they're working and maybe where adjustments are needed in terms of changing culture, uh, you know, what can we learn with all these opportunities? What can we learn from the feedback we're getting to keep things moving in a positive direction? The first thing is that culture is not measured in days or weeks or frankly even months culture is only measured in years so that's why i say to be patient uh the execution the discipline is daily so keep going down your path uh uh, you measure culture by experience and you measure it by results but you have to measure it over a longer term culture is always the long-term play culture is not a short-term play you're looking for roi over that 24 month two-year period of time not over two weeks, three weeks, or even three months. What you want to look for is you want to look for in your effort is you want to look for language change. You want to look for behavior change, even if it's not producing the result. Same thing for you. If you're trying to get in shape, the first thing you need to look for is your behavior change, not your result. Try to change your behavior over three months time in how you move or work out or read or interact with people, whatever it is you're doing, without worrying about what the result is. Same thing on your team. Focus on the, the behavior. Behavior often shows up as language first, but then it shows up as attitude, and it shows up as action. 
And particularly if you're changing the culture and say climbing out of a basement or a toxic place or an average and mediocre place that's been around for a while, or you lost a lot of seniors and you're trying to replace them and the culture feels like it's starting fresh from a previously successful program, watch the language, watch the behavior. That's how you know it's going in a good direction. And then look for, as you're going forward, look for ways to do one of two things. Both of them micro. Look for micro ways to enhance and accelerate. Look for micro ways to adjust and tweak, not macro. Like if you're driving a boat, you always, you always turn the boat slightly, not majorly when you're unsure of your heading or you're trying to see if you're on the right mark. When you change it, you know, majorly, you end up swinging back and forth and it's too much sweat. So whether you feel like you want to put a little more urgency and pressure on your culture, make them micro changes, little things, based on what you've observed in attitude, action, and words. And then if you feel like you need to make an adjustment to change something, don't make it huge. Don't make it macro. Make it micro, but just do it with intensity. And that's how we need to move in season. Off season, we can do some different things. In season, it's micro both directions. And then because you, 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 don't, you don't want to find out you know, three weeks later that you made a macro change that didn't work. You want to find out three weeks later you made a micro change that wasn't quite the direction. Then you can micro change or adjust or accelerate in a different direction. Micro in season is what I focus on in attitude, action, and words. And then let's just keep measuring the results over time. And we'll, we'll see what the scoreboard says at the end of each week and then at the end of the season. And those incremental changes really start to build up. So being able to go out and intensely, like you said, make a micro change, uh, we will see those help our team over the course of the time. And uh, in, in the other regard, if, if we were wrong, it's, it's not that hard to maybe steer back in another direction or direct another way if that's what we need. Yeah, I, you know, I, I totally agree. And, I'm, and I, I'm a huge fan, by the way. I'm a huge fan. Frankly, I even prefer in my own personal style to make significant major changes and go all in. That's just my personal preference. I also think it works better. Uh, but in season is not the time to do it. And like in my business, in the midst of a project, in the midst of a client delivery, it's not the time to do that. There's a time for that from a football perspective. And it's anytime not in the off season, make a major change, make an overhaul, commit, you know, become a, become a different kind of coach because you believe that it's a better version of you. Not in season though. In season, we've got to stay micro, um, learn things, keep a notepad about maybe some macro changes you want to make later, but it's either going to be micro to enhance and accelerate or, or micro to, you know, uh, adjust and adapt to a different way and then track results over time and continue to make more micro changes with pressure. Brian, to, to bring this back to the beginning and to the Browns, uh, a micro change for me as a fan would be a win right now in the regular season. No preseason championships, the regular season. Uh, and that's a step in the right direction. So uh, I'm hoping to see that. Uh, there's a lot of hope there because uh, the good part of, of watching that show, you do get to look behind the scenes. You see the communications. Uh, definitely as a coach, I think a lot to learn there as, as you know, how they're treating people, uh, how they work as a staff, um, some great things. And uh, hopefully the, the changes they made are going to improve. I know um, the ideas here you share are really useful. Just reflecting back on uh, seasons of my career and 
you know, the approaches we've, we had taken, I think at times we made maybe some changes that were a little bit bigger than should have been. And you better be right on those. I guess if you're going to make those, you better be right because it's a big risk and you, your chance losing your team if you do them wrong. And, and I would agree, you know, not the end season for that. It's not time to scrap your offense and start over. You're going to have to maybe take what's there and focus on a few things and make those better and start to build it back up. But uh, your team, I don't think, can see you at any point uh, scrap things because it's just a bad signal um, to all the work that you've put into it, uh, maybe even to their beliefs in you. So definitely in agreement with the approach that we need to take right now to make some changes. And as far as I know, the Browns are going to get 16 chances to pick up that W or more. And, uh, and like anybody else and, and anyone else, we don't control outcomes. Uh, we control the quality of our action and the outcomes that we want are going to come when we're good enough to earn them and we deserve them. And that's what's so fun about competition in my mind is you don't deserve anything until you've actually earned it and created it in a real environment. Um, now I think you might, you might be wanting that Browns win just so you can unlock that beer fridge that is uh, around <laughs> Cleveland or whatever the one is out there. I'm, I'm mapping them all out right enjoy, now, Brian. I think you'd enjoy a Browns win. <laughs> uh, that's, right. that's right. Somebody's going to map it out and like find the, the shortest path between all of them and, and go snag four or five from each one of them or something. But yeah, I mean, that, that's what's cool about competition. And um, but they'll get it figured out. You know, maybe it might not be this year. It might be this year. Uh, and the same goes for, for all of you listening. I, I don't know if this is the year when you get it figured out. I don't know if this is the school you're going to be at. I don't know if this is the stage of your career um, and for your professional life. If it's not just coaching uh, as a teacher, your personal life as a husband or as a wife, because I know there's some female listeners as a, as a son. Um, you know, some of you have jobs that, that aren't in education uh, it, it, these principles are the same for all of us. I think that's what's so great about what we do. And we work really hard to do this is I, I want the tool to be useful uh, to everyone and useful all the time and useful in everything. That's the ultimate objective. Everyone all the time and everything. Perfect application? No. But production and productive? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, I appreciate you taking the time to take this next step on the leadership journey. Uh, for those of you who want to follow Brian on Twitter, it's at T Brian Kite. Uh, Brian, thanks again, and I look forward to our next step on this journey next week. You're welcome, Keith. And I'll, I'll throw in there for everybody uh, because I find our fastest growing community right now is actually uh, the daily discipline email that I write and send out uh, every day, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. One to three paragraphs on daily discipline around leadership or culture or individual behavior, both on the professional as well as on the personal front. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, you can sign up for that at just a quick insert here for an update. You can find Brian's Daily Discipline now at dailydiscipline.com. I uh, just started writing it in January. It's been our fastest growing community, 7,000 daily readers. And uh, probably the thing I'm getting more 
great feedback on than anything else that's happening right now. So if that's for you and you want a daily email, uh, keeping that focus, go ahead and sign up for that. If you don't want an email every day, don't sign up for this one. Well, I, I recommend signing up for it. I get it every day. Uh, it, it's a great start to the day and definitely gives you some perspective and focus. So thanks for doing that, Brian. Uh, all of your resources, uh, the time you offer us, very appreciative of it. We'll do this again next week. You're welcome, Keith. Love being here with you and, uh, and with all you listeners. Thanks for coming in. Thanks again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Go to coachingcoordinator.com, our new home for the podcast, for updates on the podcast, for our new digital magazine, Coach and Coordinator Monthly, and follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.